you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we wind up our study kind of through Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica. Um, I thought it was how appropriate and fitting it was that we should come to this portion of Paul's letter, especially as to what we're going to be taking part in this morning. What I would like to do is just kind of read through the first five verses for you, and then we'll come back and we'll speak about them. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, notice it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for these letters of Paul to the believers in the church at Thessalonica. And Father, we find in these letters that Paul wrote admonition, exhortation, encouragement, And Father, as we consider the closing of this second letter today, Father, may our hearts be encouraged as we reflect upon the words of Paul. Father, may our hearts be encouraged this morning as we anticipate sharing in the Lord's table. Father, may our hearts be encouraged because of who you are. And Father, may we see you today for who you are. The sovereign Lord and Master, the just and righteous one whose love is steadfast, patient. And so, Father, as we consider all of that, as we come to this portion of Paul's letter, Father, may our hearts be encouraged knowing that today, as believers, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you'd bless the time of Uh, together. May your word find a lodging place in our hearts. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to its truth so that, Father, we can take it and use it and apply it in our hearts and in our lives each and every day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen. It's interesting, Paul comes now to the close of his second letter and he He closes by asking for prayer. And it's interesting when you look at verse number 1 because in the actual structure of verse 1 when he says, finally, brethren, that word finally there does not mean that that it's all finished and it's all over and everything's done with. It's basically just concluding his letter and, and basically just going to kind of wrap it all up together. And as he kind of brings it to a conclusion and he wraps it all up together, he says, I want you to pray for us 
that word pray there in the structure of the first verse and in, in the Greek word here, it, it, Paul says to continually pray for us. Something that would continue on, not just a one-time request for prayer, but it would be a continual prayer for certain things. And so in this prayer, he says that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. You know, one of the things that Paul makes sure of that they understand that the Thessalonian believers as well as Paul shared a common common faith and a common Lord. Matter of fact, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus spoke about one Lord and one baptism and one Holy Spirit and one God and Father of all. And so that oneness is, is Paul is going to deal with that here in verse number one, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Paul wanted them to understand that the Thessalonians were not alone in their faith. If I could encourage you with something this morning, here's what it would be. You're not alone in your faith. All around this world today, there are folks who are gathering, who are, who are meeting, who are praying, who are singing, who are encouraging one another, all because of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so for us this morning, all of us who are here, we're, we're not alone. We're not by ourselves. It's just not our little group that's inside of this building this morning. I will say this to you. I get it all throughout the week. Matter of fact, I even get it some on Sunday mornings of different churches, different ones who are praying for us and you in this place on a continual basis. Let me tell you something. There's a lot we can learn from Paul's statement here in verse number one of the closing of this letter to the church at Thessalonica. One of the things that we ought to do, we ought to pray for each other. We ought to pray for our churches in the area. We ought to pray for other believers. We ought to pray for missionaries. We ought to pray for all of those around the world today that are standing for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to pray for them. Why? To encourage each other. To come alongside of each other. And Paul wanted them to understand. And Paul had a desire, two specific requests in this portion of his letter. And I want you to notice the first one. It's in the first verse. It was for the word of God. Look back at verse number one. It was for the word of God. For the word of the Lord to spread rapidly and be glorified. Now that's interesting when you think about that. It was for the word That word there in verse number one means divine revelation or the gospel. Paul had a desire for it to spread rapidly. Now that word spread rapidly is interesting because the Greek phrase there actually means to run or to speed on. In other words, for the word of God to continue, that divine revelation for the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to spread and to spread quickly. Not just something that would just uh, be taking place here in Thessalonica, but that it, would, that it would spread quickly throughout all of the other regions and that the Word of God would find itself being propagated around the world. I don't know how many of y'all caught this this past week, but the world, the world as we know it, reached the 8 billion in population mark. Matter of fact, it came out that the world has now come to the point that we see a total best counting they can do is at 8 billion people. But now I want to give you a little bit 
more sobering of a fact. But here's what was also calculated, that a little over 3 billion have little to no access to the gospel. It's a lot. When you consider the magnitude of the task that we've been given, and Paul said, Paul said his desire was for the word to spread rapidly and for it to be glorified. It's interesting when you think about the word glorified there, not only that it would spread rapidly, but that it would also be glorified. In other words, that word means to be accepted. Not only that it would be spread, but that it would be accepted. You know all these shoe boxes that are going to be finally, they'll, they'll get the rest of them tomorrow sometime. Matter of fact, if you go back in the Family Life Center now and look at all of the cases that are against the wall, their desire for all of these shoe boxes when they leave and they find themselves into the hands of, of folks all over this world and where these specific shoe boxes are going, I'm not sure, okay? But they will find their way into a region and into the hands of boys and girls who need Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So Paul's encouragement here is for this word to spread rapidly for the gospel, for it to be accepted when it finds itself confronting individuals with it. In other words, to be accepted with respect and understand the magnitude of the message that's being delivered because it's an eternal message. It has an eternal consequence as to what we do with that gospel when it's presented. But secondly, Paul asks for something else. It's verse 2. And I want you to notice, as it says, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. You know, one of the things that Paul and his co-laborers suffered was intense persecution. And they suffered this intense persecution for the sake of the gospel. You and I are sitting in this building today. The heat's running. Sun shining outside. We've got some of the latest technology that there is. Things are displayed up here on the screen. Folks are watching us right now live stream, okay? In other words, we've, I, I'll just, there's really no other way to put it than this. You know, we just really have it kind of made. Did you know there are folks meeting today that don't have what we're meeting in? There are some that will find themselves in nothing more than mud brick that will not have Window panes in them, won't have air conditioning, won't have any of those things that you and I have to worship in and through and with. Paul's persecution we see taking place today in the lives of others around the world. There are people today giving up and giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. How many of y'all pay attention to Fox's books? Uh, not Fox's, but uh, The Voice of the Martyrs. Anybody? Anybody follow those? If you don't, I would encourage you to. If you want to know some of the things that are going on in the world today with other believers that are sharing the gospel, 
get the Voice of the Martyrs publication. They publish it in there every single month of what's going on in different places around the world is the gospel is being presented. You know what Paul's prayer was? That they would be delivered from perverse and evil men. The persecution that Paul found himself under for the sake of the gospel. One of the things that we ought to be doing as we gather here this morning to celebrate the very death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, one of the things that we ought to be doing today and we need more than anything else is encouragement, understanding and realizing that we have a task that we've been called to do and it's not time to quit. So what about Paul? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Just flip back to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 44, I want you to notice as we're given this account. And so the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And so when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And that was Paul's prayer was for the word of God to be accepted, for it to be glorified, for it to be received. And that's exactly what we see here. And then verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But now drop down to verse number 50. And notice what happens. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. You see that the persecution that came as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's go to 2 Timothy. If you'll flip over to 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. And I want you to notice as Paul recounts for us where he found himself. This is Paul's coming down to the end of his life. And as Paul comes down to the end of his life, I want you to notice what he shares with us here. Beginning in verse number 9. So make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians have gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Trisius, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. 
Alexander the coppersmith coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, if you've never read this before, I would encourage you to read it and underline it. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul's prayer for the believers in Thessalonica is that he would be delivered from the perverse and the evil persecution that he would find himself a part of as the gospel is being spread. Paul knew the cost. Paul knew what it was going to take. Paul knew what he was going to encounter. Paul understood very clearly, but there was nothing, absolutely nothing more important to him than that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ be spread throughout all of the region, the nations, and the world. And my dear friend, listen to me. That ought to be our desire today. Eight billion people on the face of this planet, over 3 billion people today who have little or no access to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it ought to do for us is to motivate us just as it motivated Paul as he writes the letter to the church at Thessalonica today. We ought to be motivated the same way that Paul was when he came to the gospel. That's one of the things we're going to share in this morning is... A memorial to the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A one and final sacrifice that was made so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. And my dear friend, if that doesn't, listen, if that does not encourage our hearts. Here's one of the other things I want you to understand. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. It's a living hope in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And so Paul's desire to be, to be delivered from this perverse and evil men. They suffered intense persecution throughout their travels. That's a fact that they did. But even in the opposition of the word of God and the gospel and the onslaught of all of the evil and wickedness, we can find assurance and confidence because if you look back at Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and look back at verse number 3, I want you to notice what Paul says. I always love these words in the scripture. He's gone through verse 1 and verse 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith but but guess what? The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Let me say that again. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful to us. As we consider ourselves where we are today, God is faithful. And He continues to be faithful. And are you ready for this? He will be faithful to call us home one day. He will be faithful to his promise. Paul says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you. 
from what? And protect you from the evil one that he spoke about in chapter 2 of his letter. You know, confidence and faithfulness. Confidence in the faithfulness of God. Enables believers to be able to look beyond the temporal and continue in the faith. I'm thankful today to know that what we see going on in the world today is just not all that there is to life. I'm thankful today that we have much more to look forward to, that we have so much more to look forward to in Jesus Christ and the gospel. To understand that we have life and have it more abundantly through Jesus Christ. Paul understood that and he realized that. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Paul then goes on as he said in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. We come down to verse 4. We have confidence in who? In the Lord. Let me ask you a question. So where's your confidence at today? He's faithful. We've been given a task in carrying the gospel around the world and throughout all the persecution and all the things that we will experience in sharing the gospel, Jesus Christ, our living hope, God is faithful through it all. Are you ready for this? And we can have the absolute confidence in the faithfulness of God, knowing that God will bring it to be. But we have confidence in the Lord, verse 4, concerning you. And here's what Paul said. We've got confidence in you. In you for what? That you are doing and will continue to do what we command. In other words, you will stay steadfast to what we and what you've been taught to do. Let me tell you what we need today. We need churches that will remain steadfast in the doctrine that we have been given through the Word of God and remain faithful to what God's called us to do. Not to get to the point that we say, well, you know, yeah, I was involved in it for a lot of years, but I'm just to the point now that, you know, I've kind of done my time and I'm done. Really? Done our time and done? My dear friend, listen, as we go through life, one of the things that Paul did, Paul said, I bring my body into subjection daily. He, he, he describes the life of a believer as that in a race. And my dear friend, when you come down to that finish line and you come down to the end of the road, when you come down to the end of the line, guess what? You press in, you pour on. It's the time you don't lay back. It's the time that you give more. But do we do that? Let me ask you a question, and I'm not talking about checking off all these boxes over here. Well, yeah, I'm doing all this. I'm, I'm talking about in your relationship with Jesus Christ and seeing the gospel carried out and spread around the world, gathering together as his people, coming together to encourage and exhort one another with the message of the faithfulness of God and caring about what God's called us to carry out. And then verse 5. It says, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. May He direct your hearts. Let me tell you what that word direct means. It means to make straight. To make straight, may the Lord make straight your hearts. 
into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. We come today to share in a special time. And as we do, it should be a special time in all of our hearts when we reflect on the Lord's table. When we consider what we have in this table. It should never get to the place that what this represents grows old with us. It should always be it should always be a special time and a special place in our hearts. Why? Because you know every time we share in the Lord's table, let me tell you what it is. It's the gospel. That final sacrifice by Jesus himself. From the flesh to the blood of the new covenant, the fulfillment of the very law itself, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews shares with us that one final sacrifice, there remains no more sacrifice. Jesus Christ paid the final payment. And he is set down at the right hand of the Father today, making intercession for us. It's because of his love for us. It's because of his grace and his mercy that we can even come here today to this place. So this morning, as we share in this table, I want us just to spend some time of reflection before we come to the table. And as Paul wrote about this, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And every time we share in this table, we do so in remembrance of who? Of him, of Jesus Christ. But before we come to the table this morning, I want us to spend some time alone with the Lord because it's important that our hearts are where they should be with him. And so this morning, I'm going to ask Miss Jenny to come to the piano, and we're going to spend the time of just reflection over the gospel, over the faithfulness of God, our own condition of our hearts. My question to anyone here this morning, to everyone in this building, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? I trust that you do. But if you don't, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior today, then you have no right to this table. 
at all